Hi there, guys. Welcome back to the Rolling in the Deep podcast. I am here today, Adele, from Babies on Broadway with my main gal, Summer, over here. And we have a guest today. So we are going to be starting a little series. Um, We're not exactly sure how many pods will come out of this, but it is going to be navigating parenting through divorce. And today we are really excited to have here Alex Gutnick from Heller and Thyen. And he's going to be kind of walking us through a little bit about some family law things and kind of what you can expect as maybe you're going through those first like really frightening steps of looking maybe into divorce or going through divorce. And I'm going to let Alex introduce himself. So give us a little bit about your background. Absolutely. Thank you, Adele and Summer, for having me on the podcast, first and foremost. Just some background for myself so people understand, you know, how I came to the practice here. I'm originally from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Went to the University of South Dakota, go Coyotes. Uh, We don't like South Dakota State, so I will say that. So if you are a South Dakota State fan, sorry. Did we not tell you we're Badger fans? Okay, we can live with that. Okay. I I don't have nothing. (laughs) So um, after graduating the University of South Dakota, I went to law school here in St. Paul. Originally, William Mitchell became Mitchell Hamlin School of Law, graduated. Then had my first attorney job here in St. Cloud at Central Minnesota Legal Services. So I was a staff attorney. I worked in nine different counties, worked with financially eligible population for mostly family law, employment law items, as well as criminal expungements. So those are the big areas that we did have there. And then in February of 21, then I decided to make a venture into private practice with Heller and Thine. It was a great transition time for me. It was really difficult to leave Central Minnesota Legal Services. I love the mission of it. But it was the time of like, hey, you're getting into this. Give it a try. And legal services will always be there. I'm always a big, big proponent for legal services, whether that's the volunteer attorney program to give your time to either litigate cases for them, be a mediator, or provide legal advice clinics. So I always push for them and all our attorneys here to provide that because we're supposed to provide at least 50 hours of pro bono work is an aspirational goal. I think some of us could do better. And now we kind of do a shame campaign. Uh, (laughs) As of two years ago, I think uh, the bar or the board uh, you have to put your hours Ooh. now every time you certify yourself. When you relay them. Yeah, so you, and, and like they're not going to do anything if it's zero hours, but it's kind of like, Ooh, those yeah. are, we need well, to pump That's accountability. Those yeah, that's so cool. we should be definitely doing that. I've been at Heller and Thine since February of 21, still practicing family law. I got to expand my scope of services to criminal defense work. And then also a little bit more employment. I've decided to kind of freeze that a little bit now because it's just a little too much is on the platter with the family law and criminal defense portion. But I have that tool and that set of tools for me to use in my family law cases there to assist in saying like, hey, what, you know, what kind of experiences your attorney have for other areas of law? And that's the beauty of our practice, too. We're not just a family law practice group. We have bankruptcy, personal injury, criminal defense, landlord, tenant, and of course, Mm -hmm. our family law group. So we can reach out to different people in our firm and say like, Hey, I got a bankruptcy issue. Let's say, you know, sometimes, you know, most marriages tend to dissolve (laughs) because of finances, right? That's like the top three. So if you're looking at a, we want to do a joint petition for a bankruptcy, then I have to talk, I can go to Rob Thine and, or Steve Heller, my bosses and go, Hey, so like, how does this really parlay Mm -hmm. into our case? Does it make sense to do a seven or 13? How does that play in the family law case? So it's really helpful to caucus cases with other attorneys and we're not on our own Island there. That's helpful. And I think it too, yeah, a ton of people that I come across and it does end up in maybe potentially having to look at a bankruptcy. Like maybe there was just debt that's 
you know, not feasible for each party. So that's good to have that resource for them right there. Absolutely. And I just wanted to just, you know, demystify like family law, right? We're saying family law. What does that actually Mm -hmm. mean? Yeah. So to break it down, I kind of have a couple different areas we can talk about. Uh, Obviously, divorce or dissolution is what we call it there. Paternity, custody, parenting time, child in need of protective services. You can have Mm -hmm. child support, third-party custody, grandparent visitation rights. Things that are not maybe family law, but we often see would be harassment restraining orders, orders for protections, criminal matters being, uh, you know, you could have a domestic abuse, no contact order, a Danko, part of a criminal proceeding and advising your client, what can we do and what cannot we do at that point? So those are the areas that we have there. So is there any questions or that you have initially of just hearing that and what is family law, the big umbrella term to that? Well, I think too, like, it's kind of sad that I'm sitting here and so many of those terms were familiar to me. I'm over here like, oh, yep, yeah, yeah, check, check, Mm -hmm. check. So to give a little background, I am a navigating through divorce parent for sure. I have two kiddos, both with the same dad, you know, and I'll just share and be vulnerable here. We were high school sweethearts. We were together in high school. We got married very young. I was 21, actually barely legal to drink. We had my first son at 23. And then my second son, I was 27. But the long story short of it is, you know, my now ex-husband fell off kind of the deep into addiction. And with that being said, our divorce was ugly. It did not go that well. There there were Dankos. There were, you know, harassment restraining orders. There was a lot of no-shows to court. And it was just a really, really scary time, like financially, future. And I think too that like something maybe some advice that you could give for something is like I spent a lot of time like living in my own head of the fear of what was to come and I think that sometimes just getting that message out there to people that like if you're even thinking about it or like you see that writing on the wall it's probably an okay time to like have a conversation with an attorney because that part kept me I think maybe in it longer than I should have because I was so fearful of like how the process would work. And it felt so messy. My husband owned a business. I owned a business. You know, he's off the deep end. He's got stuff. I've got stuff. And it just, yeah. So what's your advice for that? Like, when's the right time? When's the right time to call you? Well, you know, there's never a right time for a divorce. Many people, fantastically, were in this holiday season, right? So (laughs) we call this the lull. And I just met with a guy who just hired me, and he goes, Alex, you know... Christmas is coming around the corner. Should I really start this process? Should I wait for the holiday to go Mm -hmm. through? The pink clouds, right? This is all going to work. Christmas time, right? And cheer. (laughs) I go, listen, time isn't going to change your decisions. Mm -hmm. The data that you have at hand, do you think by waiting another month or two is going to change that? And he goes, no. And I'm like, there's your answer. So you'll usually see this lull after January 2nd, people start calling, or after February 14th. So that is true, that little uptick after the holiday. (laughs) Yep. Or you see an uptick, you know, towards summer because they go, oh, I want to really change the school district. And I go, Mm. that conversation should have had probably in February, not August 1st. (laughs) So if you're looking at that, I can definitely go over (laughs) that. And you can spend different area, a lot of time in different areas. But I always say this. Our office, you have attorney-client privilege with any law firm, right? I cannot say you, like if your husband called me or your significant other, whoever you may mm-hmm. be, right? I can't share that information. Even even if they called in and we talked to the significant mm-hmm. other, we say we have a conflict and we can't talk with you. Now, obviously, we don't tell them that we've talked with them, but it's inferred 
through mm -hmm. our conflict checking, hey, we've already learned information about the case. You'll have to find a different attorney for that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's a free consultation with our office. You know, there's different varieties of them, right? Some attorneys will spend 10 minutes on the phone. Some will spend a half hour. Some will charge you for it. Yeah. I usually do a free consultation because it's and I usually do about a half hour myself. I get a little mm -hmm. bit more in depth because I need to know how to curate the retainer yeah. for the payment. Number two is I want to know your objectives. Mm -hmm. Can I meet your expectations? Right. And my thing is family law is a big gray area. The most deference mm -hmm. is with the judge. We're talking about 12 best interest factors. One doesn't weigh more than the other. You know, what would happen with that? And I go, you know, the judge has a pen and a fancy robe. That can make orders. I don't. I get to tell your story persuasively. So if you call in, we're going to talk about your finances. If it's a divorce, custody, we talk about finances and the fact of child support. But if you're talking about divorce, right, we want to talk about bank accounts, checking accounts, savings accounts, 401ks, pensions. If you have stocks, bonds, if you have corporation shares, right, we want to get those valuations and start getting your case lined up efficiently and effectively so we have the tools and resources to implement right and then you know if i have someone who's like we have no kids we rent a house yeah we have little debts we have a hundred dollars in our bank account <laughs> i'm not going to charge you five grand right. do your divorce because right. the need is not there mm -hmm. now if we're like hey we have three kids dad's drinking we're in a bunch of debt we're in foreclosure we own two business you know you go okay we're gonna mm -hmm. there's gonna be a lot of work on this and do we have an emergency that requires a temporary motion to be in place right away that takes time so we have to curate that retainer to make sense or you know some people are like well can you charge less and i go yeah you're just gonna get a bill the next month that says you owe us money right so could you clarify from like a payment perspective i've had a lot of people who have asked like there's a lot of advertising that like there's some firms that basically say, here, we're gonna upfront quote you the entire cost of your of your experience, pretty much. You know, you you will never pay us more. And I I'm just so confused kind of by that, to be honest with you. Like, how is that possible? I mean, my experience is like you just a phone call costs money. Yeah. I mean an email your costs time money. Is, yep. is valuable. I mean, yeah, an email. Isn't there a point, you know, like so Seriously, for $3,000, you know, I'm just throwing out a number, but for three k, I can basically use you for 10 years and you're never, you know what I mean? Because like, yeah. true, in my experience, I got four kids that I'm going to co-parent for a very long time and I'm going to need a consult at times. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. Yeah. So for retainers, when I'm talking about that, it's payment for legal services in the future. You can do them in a couple different ways. For family law, I don't like doing a flat fee retainer because we never know what comes right. up and it's hard to do the, the scope of that. Some people will go, hey, it's X thousand up to mediation, hmm. right? And they get, you know, it's $2,000 to represent you up to mediation. If it doesn't work, then you have to sign a trial retainer for us to, you know, get to that point. Maybe that's the kick. So it's a little bit of a kick and I feel yeah. there's a lot of clients who get really put in a hard position because yep. don't get me wrong, don't throw good money at a bad problem. But if you know you have to spend additional money and you're at mediation, that's another quantitative factor to take mm -hmm. in the place. It is. So our firm does a trust billing, right? I have to earn your time at that point. So you're going to see all my descriptive billing there because it's not just going to be email point two, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be email sent to opposing counsel. We talked about X, Y, Z. 
in my time on that particular thing. You'll see also my paralegal's time and anything Mary can do for me. I'm going to have her do it first. She's been a paralegal for 30 years. Mm -hmm. I've been practicing for six. <laughs> she could be basically an attorney. So we have the efficiency and effectiveness of having that paralegal in place because I don't want to draft all your pleadings for my rate. Yeah. I'm going to have her draft it at your rate. And then I review it for maybe 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. I go, everything looks good. Bing, bang, boom. We're out. We're signing on DocuSign. We're getting this filed. Because, you know, we're not in the metro, right? We have, you know, I'd say blue-collared, hardworking people here, yeah. and they don't have all the money in the world to spend, and nor do I want to. I'll say this on a, on, when I talk on initial consultations, I say, listen, don't throw good money at a bad problem, and I can't put a price tag on a kid. But yeah. I'll tell you this, you can put a price tag on litigation. Also, that money's not going to vacation, education, yeah. experience with your kid is going mm -hmm. straight to the firm. And you're going to get this an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper with your final order. And there's probably not that much like, yay, like a <laughs> present, right? And there's some finality. There's some closure to it. So there can be some of that. But you're losing out on those other experience with your children to choose yeah. to, I hate to say this, but fight, fight yep. during this process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's tough, yeah. My experience was really different because <laughs> mine just never showed up for anything. And so it was like this weird, like, I would have to work with my attorney and we drafted that we did the best that we thought possible at the time without the other person being involved at all or like me even really being able to like have any type of communication. He didn't have representation. But like pretty much like the day of the finality of the divorce, he had been, you know, ended up getting arrested. And so they brought him up. So this is his first time, like in this whole process that had been going on a very long time, mind you. And so I remember like us just sitting there and it was like, he knew nothing about anything that had gone on because he didn't show up, you know? And so basically it was like starting the whole thing all over again. Cause the judge really felt like he needed to understand it all. And we were just over there like, yeah, you could have showed up like a year ago. So that was a really interesting experience, I have to say, to just like not have the other party. You know, there was no, yeah. but it almost turned into a fight at that moment. Like, mm -hmm. so there had been nothing before that. But then in that moment, it was just like, well, maybe I don't agree with this. It had been going on for so long. Luckily, we the judge was like, let's just wrap this up. Yeah. So that's a kind of one of my outline questions here is like, Hey, what do you do if you receive a legal document? Like, let's say for example, a summons and petition, and that mm -hmm. could be, you know, we'll go just briefly in that a summons is like a cover letter mm -hmm. saying, Hey, there's a, there's an action here in the state of Minnesota in a district court. It's involving, let's say it's a divorce with children. You have to provide an answer and counter petition initially. That's just a legal document answering the pleadings, just saying, hey, is this paragraph truthful, not truthful, truth in part, not truthful in part, or I don't have sufficient information. So that's the first part. The counter petition is essentially the same, just listing out the facts of the case, right? When were you married? When did you separate? Do we have children? Do we have, you know, finances or obligations? And laying that all out and then finally saying, hey, this is in my golden world. If this came down to me, this is what I would want to occur for these issues about custody, parenting time, and the distribution of the marital estate. So what many people will do, they'll get it, and they won't talk to an attorney. Mm -hmm. And you go, well, mm -hmm. you have this timeline to do now. You know, usually professional courtesy is like, hey, if you hire us, I can talk to the other attorney and get an extension. But let's not try to buy the time either. Let's just get in front of the ball, get this going, so we can make it as smooth and efficient as possible for everyone a part of this process. With that, too, you have motions. Motions are more important. I have many people who will call me two days before a motion hearing. And I'm like, uh, 
and you want me to do what? Your response was due five days ago. So you're already within the notice period. So the judge could just put a gag order on you. You should just show up with a sock in your mouth and not even say anything. Cause they're gonna, you have no affidavit in front of us. You have no exhibit in front of us. You have no motion or relief that you're requesting of us. So the judge can just basically go, well, uh, we're gonna order exactly what you want and you're not gonna get anything. And nothing that, was responded. Cause basically. nothing was responded to. So it's really important if you get motion paperwork or if you get an emergency motion, there's already been an order signed Ooh. to say, hey, yeah, we need to put a responsive motion in here right away so we can respond to this because there usually be an additional hearing thereafter. What would justify an emergency motion? Yes, yeah, so it depends. That's a lot of professor answer, and it's a judge question. <laughs> I've had cases where you know you file them out, so emergency usually is endangerment to a child. That could be physical, emotional abuse, or emotional development there mostly we're seeing it under you know there's a crime that happened where domestic violence happened in the house hold or you know a parent is refusing to return the child and we can't find the parent and i've had those and those are very difficult cases mm -hmm. to handle with and usually officers can be helpful but it may not be top priority either and that's unfortunate for my client but you know mm -hmm. i trust i trust our law enforcement you know to put the effort in and do all that so that's not a, a slight at our law enforcement but it there's may not be a priority. On. Yeah, there's a so, lot going on always. Yep. So, and when you file that, usually the judge has a lot of deference. Again, saying, you know, I had one where the cops were involved, alcohol, there was a gun, Oof. the kid was in the house, the you know, yeah. the sheriff showed up, the whole thing, we got the kid back, and, you know, a judge said, not an emergency, he said it for just a regular temporary motion date. And I said, well, Ooh. they still have parenting time, and, like, we don't want to exchange for that further parenting time. And judge is like, I'll kick it out. And I, and I don't have control, right? I'm not the mm -hmm. judge. I can persuasively tell your story and try to make sure the judge understands it as best they can. But you got to remember, they don't know you. They don't know the other parent. And they especially don't know your children. And they have uh, so much weight during so your case. So much I mean, that just reminds me of that case out in Washington. I always watch my little crime shows on it and it comes up all the time. But like, basically it was like that husband and wife and then their two kids and then the wife went missing. Do you know which one I'm talking about? No, then, I, I don't myself. And then during a custodial visit that was actually supervised, the supervisor went out to her car to get something and basically the guy locked the door and blew up the house with him and the kids in. After the grandparents had been fighting for him not even to have supervised visitation, like the whole thing was just absolutely crazy. But it just like reminds me of that. Like things can go so wrong and sideways. So fast. Yeah, and so they can go quickly. they can go wrong and sideways in the middle of a case. And I've dealt with that, especially with mental health or chemical yeah, use. 100%. I tell my clients this all the time. I say, listen, I'm the counselor of the law. I'm not the counselor of the head or heart. Yeah. I can't do that. Yeah. I don't have the. What a good saying. I don't. I don't have the credentialing behind that, and also your therapist is cheaper than me. Yeah, you can do yeah. a lot more work, uh, too. So I don't have it as any taboo, and yeah. that is one of those considerations that we look at as a best interest factor is the mental health and physical health of each parent. I've represented addicts. I've represented people with significant mental health concerns. And yeah. They go, well, what should I do? Should I just give up the farm? And I go, no, 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 no. If you are following your treatment plan, you're following your prescription. Plan. Yes. You're going to be fine. Now you're not going to be fine if you say, well, I don't want to take these drugs anymore. I don't want to go to the therapy, therapy anymore. And you're being 
you know, it could be sometimes court ordered too yep. to do that. And I go, that's where you start to get off the rails a bit. And that's not going to help your case out. Um, so I've had, you know, you know, and then with, especially with addiction, you know, I say honesty is the best policy. You know, if you're going to say and just hide in a room and, you know, drink, 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 or, you know, do whatever drug you put in there, you're going to have problems in the future at some point. Yeah, for sure. So this episode with Alex was running a bit long. And so we are going to do a part two follow-up, which will be out next week.